Okay, we are on week seven of our study of personal holiness for women. So I'm so glad that you get to be here with us tonight. Next week, we have a week off. We will not be here next Wednesday evening. Um, so we will come back in a couple of weeks and take up on lesson eight. Um, if you have a piece of paper, you have, if you have your little journal or notebook, I'd like for you to go ahead and grab that out and have it ready. We're going to write a few things down. I want everybody to write this down tonight. So if you don't have a piece of paper, borrow one from someone beside you. It's part of the exercise. You kind of have to write it down. So your phone won't work. Trust me, your phone won't work. Okay, so before we dive into the lesson, what you are going to do right now, ever just feel like you just need to get some things off of your chest? Journaling is good for that. Anybody ever just compose that text message and then never send it, delete it? Write the email or just write in the journal and then just never send it, right? Or never look at it again. So that's what we're gonna do here for just a moment. I want you to write down, this might seem a little strange, but you're gonna write down the name or names of someone that you are struggling with. You are upset, you are struggling, you are whatever. Maybe you've just had a, a bad day, maybe you've just had a bad week, maybe you've just been mad at them for a really, really, really long time. And don't show the person beside you. No, it can be as many people as you need to write down. Somebody that you need to forgive, somebody that you need to maybe have a conversation with. It can be one name, it can be five names, it can be 10 names. Somebody that's just gotten on your nerves, somebody that has just really caused a, some of you are really writing like vigorously right now. Go ahead, girls, just get it all out, okay? Just keep writing. Now's your moment, just get it all out. We all should have one, you know, somebody that we need to make a con have a conversation with, somebody that we need to set something right. Maybe we need to apologize or maybe they need to apologize. Sometimes, you know, Christmas brings all this out, the holidays, because we end up in the same house with people that maybe, you know, we don't get along with very well or maybe it's somebody in this room. Hide it. You know, just kind of cover it up. All right. So everybody go, <sighs> there. We got it out. We wrote it down on paper. There's something very, like, just freeing about writing it out on paper and just getting it out there, okay? I do this all the time, okay? Not just with people I'm struggling with, but situations or just sometimes you just have to write it out and then read it to yourself, right? And we're gonna do something at the end tonight with this. Um, so if you didn't write down a name, you need to as this lesson goes on. If you don't have one right now, you need to have a name on there before the night's end. 
All right, so we are going to start off tonight in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 25. We were in Galatians 5 last week. And we only read this first portion of scripture, but tonight we're going to go a little bit further down to verse 25. So starting with verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22 is the good news. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So last week we talked about shunning the works of the flesh. We went through this whole list and I explained each one of them and what those King James English words mean and how they're all around us in our world. The works of the flesh are at work. You know, everywhere we look, we can see them manifest. We also talked about guarding our tongue last week and how that tongue is an evil, evil member and it, is, it can spew deadly poison. And we talked about wanting to, you know, be holy as he is holy and avoid the appearance of evil. And so these are things that we have to work at every single day. But we stopped last week at verse 21 with the bad news that all of these things in this long list that our flesh naturally just works and produces. It's very easy to produce this list when we're living in the flesh. The bad news is that you cannot take, play, take part in these, in these works of the flesh and inherit the kingdom of God. And that is why we must be on a journey toward personal holiness. But the good news is in verse 22, that when we are not walking after the flesh, but when we are causing our flesh to be in submission to his spirit, then we will begin to produce fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Many people will tell you that they don't sin by committing the works of the flesh, and they read through verses 19 to 21 and say, well, I don't really have any problem with any of that. I don't deal with any of that. And that's okay, but they stop there, and in verse 22 they're not producing fruit. So maybe you're not involved in hatred or maybe you even had trouble thinking of a name tonight. Maybe you don't hate anybody. Maybe you are not involved in adultery or fornication. But if you don't find yourself in that list, maybe you do. But if you don't, then we really need to keep reading and keep studying and be sure that we are producing what is found in verses 22 to 25. Because 
If we're walking after the spirit of God, then it's going to become very natural that we begin producing fruit. Let's turn over to Galatians, or I'm sorry, to Ephesians 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Remember that holiness is all about being found acceptable to God, set apart for his purpose in doing what is pleasing to him. That is our journey toward holiness. So this scripture here in Ephesians lets us to know that producing the fruit of the spirit is a step in the right direction toward holiness because when the fruit of the spirit is being produced, we are able to prove what is acceptable to the Lord. You are able to prove what's inside that inner part, that inner holiness that we've been talking about. You're able to prove it by the fruits that begin manifesting on the outside. So, each of these fruits that are listed in Galatians 5.19, I want us to take notice that in verse 19, it, I'm sorry, in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And I know when we were children and we studied this in Sunday school, we usually saw this big tree and there was all these different fruits growing on it. They were all labeled. I don't really think that's a very accurate depiction of the fruit of the spirit because it doesn't say the fruits of the spirit it's singular it says the fruit of the spirit there is one fruit and it is all of these so you don't get to pick and choose which ones you're good at or which ones fit your personality or which ones come easy but to have the fruit of the Spirit, we should be producing all of the above. And so let's read them. Love. God is love. We have to have love if we are his child. If we have the Spirit within us, if we don't have love, then we deceive ourselves. We have to have the love of God within us. And when his Spirit is in us, he can give us a love that's unexplainable, undeserving, right? Joy. Anybody ever had joy in your life when you just can't even imagine at a time when you probably really shouldn't have joy, but the spirit just produces a joy in you? Sometimes those things just come through his spirit and it's not anything that we're able to work up in our flesh because we're not feeling very joyful, but he can give us joy. Peace, same thing. The Bible calls it peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand it, but his spirit can produce peace within us. Long-suffering, that means patience. So we ha sometimes have to have patience with our children, with our spouses, with our coworkers, with ourselves, with one another. Kindness. That's pretty self-explanatory. Kindness is a fruit, and it should be coming forth out of us if we have the Spirit of God within us. Kindness is just simply being kind, just showing kindness and love to people, maybe even when they're not kind. 
Kindness is doing random acts of kindness for others, not because we have to, but just because we want to show kindness. Kindness is the way we talk to people. Kindness is the way we talk to one another. It's the way we speak to children. You can, say, you can tell a lot about somebody by the way that they speak to a child. Kindness. Goodness. God is good, right? And so we can show forth his goodness by being good, by doing good, by doing good things, by doing good things for one another, by doing good for the kingdom of God. You ever just said, man, they are just such a good person, right? You ever thought that about somebody? That sometimes is the goodness of God just showing through in somebody. We hear the expression, out of the goodness of your heart. Sometimes just good things can flow out of our heart, and we just think, well, I'm going to do this good thing for somebody, or I'm going to do good when I really don't feel like doing good, right? That's goodness. Faithfulness, being faithful to God, being faithful to his word every single day, getting into his word, being faithful in our spiritual disciplines of prayer and reading and studying the word of God, being faithful in fasting, being faithful to the house of God, which you are here tonight, that's a, a, a sign of faithfulness. So being faithful, being gentle, gentleness, that's a gentleness, a meekness, that we don't have to insert ourselves and be too demonstrative. And, you know, that's not saying that we can't give our opinion. That's not saying that we, you know, can't share a thought with somebody or that. But it's all in how we do it, being gentle, having a gentle spirit. Have you ever heard the expression, you can say all the right things in the wrong tone of voice? So being gentle having the things to say and saying them rightly, a word fitly spoken. Self-control, that's a hard one. And this can cover all areas of our life. Having self-control in our schedules, our routines, our diet, our activity and exercise, our spiritual disciplines, having self-control to say no to the eight hours of television and say yes to God's word and spending time in his presence. Self-control, controlling our sexual desires and our sexual appetite. Self-control covers all avenues, all aspects of who we are. We have to learn to tell ourself no. We have to learn to tell ourself, hey, we're not gonna do that today. We're not gonna spend that much time on Facebook today. That's self-control. And so these are things that all of us should be producing as fruit. And no, we don't get to pick and choose which ones we're good at and which ones we're just going to toss aside. Because the Bible says there is one fruit of the Spirit, and this is the list. All right, so one of the greatest witnesses of holiness, when you have holiness working internally, working in your inner parts, as we've talked and David talked about in the Psalms. One of the greatest witnesses that holiness is working in our midst as a church is that there will be unity among the brethren or sistren. It's not a real word. I make that up when I say that. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. Unity is one of the greatest problems in our local churches. 
not necessarily in this church. I would say we might have struggled with it from time to time, but this is a church that has a lot of love. We give a lot of grace to one another. But one of the greatest challenges of the local church is to stay unified. We say that we are Christians, yet we devour one another. We say we love God and we say we love each other, but we cannot share a pew with someone or we cannot even speak to them. That's not the love of God. If there is anyone in the church that you cannot be friendly to, I'm not saying you have to be best buddies and hang out every night of the week, okay? Because let's be real, sometimes there's going to be people that you just really connect with. Your personalities mesh, you have common interests. I get that. But if there is someone that you cannot be friendly to, at least to be kind and cordial, then you have a serious problem. And the problem is not them, it's you. Because you are offended. Your spirit is not right. And we have to make sure that we talk real and we make lists and we, like Santa, check it twice. Look it over and be sure this is inner holiness. This is the inward stuff that we think nobody knows. God knows, and we are not deceiving him with how we look on the outside. If we have problems sharing a pew with somebody, or we have problems being cordial and being kind. If you know me, you know that I say this a lot. I refuse to be offended. I refuse. Do people upset me? Oh, yes. I'm a pastor's wife. Do people say strange things to me and put unrealistic expectations on my children? Oh, yes. Do people treat me unfairly and talk about me when I'm not around? Yes and yes. I'm not naive. I don't have my head in the sand. But I have a choice to make. Am I going to walk after my emotions and my will, or will I let the Spirit of God work in my spirit to keep me unoffended? I want to live a life unoffended. I want to lift up holy hands every Sunday without wrath or doubting. I want to be able to worship, the, worship God with my church that he has placed each and every one of us in for a purpose without worrying about anything, you know, that somebody might think or say, I refuse to be offended. Is it easy? Not always, but it's a choice I had to make a long time ago, and I've put it into practice. Let's read a few scriptures to help us with this. Proverbs is a great place to go. Let's read Proverbs chapter 18. Verses 19 to 21 says this, a brother offended or sister is harder to be one than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Offense. What we're taking in, the conversations we're having when we're offended. Death and life, and we'll have to eat it. So a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Offense is a prison. And we can lock ourselves behind those bars if we're not careful. Let's turn over to chapter 19, verse 11 in Proverbs. It says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. If you have a really strong sense of justice, then this is hard for you. If you're just one of those people that you just want somebody to get their just due, then this is going to be really hard for you. But the scripture tells us that it is a glory to us to just pass over, to just overlook a transgression. So when I'm given that choice, when I know that people have offended me, when I know that people have done me wrong, they've sinned against me, I have a choice to make. Am I going to let myself be locked up in this prison of my own thoughts? Am I going to let my imaginations run away with me? And I can't say that I always get this right. You know, sometimes I really have to take things to the Lord. But this scripture right here, it is a glory to pass over a transgression. And I can tell you that I have found that to be true. I have found it to be true that sometimes it's best to just let it go. We don't have to be social justice warriors in the church. We can sometimes just let it go. Now, I'm not saying that you just become a doormat for abuse. I'm not saying that if there isn't an issue that, you know, you just can't get through or you can't work amongst yourselves. There is a scripture in Matthew 18 that tells us how to handle these things. But sometimes it's as simply as taking it to the Lord in prayer, and then it doesn't matter anymore. I don't have time to be offended. I have sons to raise, and I'm trying to raise them to be men of God. I have a house to tend to. Sister Glenna helped me this week, and she knows that's a job. I have a husband to love. He's pretty easy to love. There are too many lost souls that need me and that need the church to get it right so that they can be led to Christ. I don't have time to be offended. Being offended is too risky, and I just can't do it because there are souls that are watching us. So how do I live this way? I told you it's not always easy. It's actually really hard at first if you're used to being that social justice warrior, if you're used to you know, trying to right every wrong, if you're used to, you know, being offended, being upset, being angry, if you're accustomed to that, then it's really hard at first. And I will tell you, when I was young, that was me. My mom always said, I never have to worry about Ashley. She will always take care of herself. On the playground, I could tell them all. And so this was not something that really came naturally to me. It was something that I really had to work on. It's really hard at first, but like anything, 
The more you practice, the more you use that muscle, the easier it will become. So one day, I just simply started refusing to be offended. I refuse to be offended. I'm going to take it to the Lord in prayer. I don't care if I have to get on my face and lay before God for an hour. I refuse to be offended. There went my glasses. And I kept using that muscle over and over and over again until it just becomes muscle memory. Something happens and it's just like, nope, done. Not offended. Thank you, ma'am. So it's something that you have to make a choice to do. It's not something that is just going to happen because you get the Holy Ghost. We've, we've been talking about that the last few weeks. We have to decide, I don't want to be offended. I don't want to carry this. Has anybody ever had to make that decision? Can anybody testify? Yes. The scripture is full of wisdom and guidance on this subject, and we would be remiss on doing a study of personal holiness if we did not address love and offense. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read some scripture, so you don't just have to listen to me talk about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. This scripture is talking about increasing and abounding in love toward one another. And it doesn't say toward a few of of you know, your brothers and sisters. No, it says all. Abounding in love toward all of them. And then verse 13 begins speaking about establishing our hearts to be unblameable in holiness before God. Having love and abounding in love and being unoffended with each other is part of holiness. It's part of being found unblameable. It's part of that sanctification process. Let's turn over to chapter 4 and read verses 6 through 9 of 1 Thessalonians. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So this whole passage of scripture is about loving one another, not despising one another, but loving others and having brotherly love. And then right smack dab in the middle of it, it says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We can't take that scripture out of context. We can't pull out that scripture and say, well, you know what that's talking about. That's talking about the way you look. God's not called us to be unclean, but he's called us to look holy. We can't pull it out and say, well, that's talking about, you know, where you spend your Friday night. No, it's not. Those things matter. 
But the whole context here, it's talking about loving one another, being unoffended, not despising one another. That is holiness. That is a part of holiness. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 23. This is a little lengthy. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God? And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Let's turn over to um, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. This is all about love, 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 love. Jump down to verse 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And finally, we're going to backtrack to the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. These words are read, so this is our Lord talking. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, 
if ye have love one to another. The world is watching. There is a world that is watching us because they think we have the answers. And guess what? We do. They are watching how we treat each other. Every guest that walks through these doors is looking to see how we are treating them. Are we friendly? Are we kind? They're looking to see how we treat one another. They're listening to our conversations. The world is watching us on Facebook. Do you know that when you post and you comment on Facebook, it is not private? Do you realize that everybody can see that? Anybody on your friends list or on their friends list that is a backslider from the church of God can read what you're saying. Anybody that is lost and has no hope and doesn't know this truth, they can read exactly what you're saying on Facebook. The world is watching what we're posting. They're watching our conversations on Facebook. They're watching the memes that we're sharing about church. Is it beneficial? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's how you really feel. But, you know, is it helping anybody? Is it encouraging a backslider to find their way home? Or is it telling them, I know why I left. What are our words saying? Because they are watching us. The world is watching us when we go out into our community together, when we're out with our families. How are we treating other people? How are we treating the waitress? How are we treating the grocery store clerk? How do we treat the bank teller? You're welcome, ladies. How do we treat people at the doctor's office? How do we treat one another on Sunday nights when we're at Applebee's? The world is watching. What do they see? Do they see a friendly face with the love of God? Do they see two people who attend the church together but can't even sit by each other at the same table? That's not holiness. The world is watching. Sometimes, yes, we are talked about and we are mistreated by the very people who are supposed to love us and support us. Sometimes we do each other wrong. Sometimes we just don't like the way somebody acts or talks or treats someone, or sometimes we're just maybe a personality clash. But it does not give us any right to not show the love of God. A true holy Christian is one who sees the greater purpose in the kingdom of God and learns to hold their tongue. The greater purpose is the lost. The greater purpose is every guest that walks through those doors, every service. That's our purpose. The greater purpose is everyone that we come in contact with on Applebee's night or in the grocery store or at the bank or wherever we're at all week long on our job. That's our purpose. What are they seeing? Are they seeing the fruit? Are they seeing the love of God? Are they seeing the fruit produced, the gentleness, kindness, goodness, are they seeing those things? Because we might be the only Jesus that they ever see. 
We might be the only Bible that they ever read. That's us. That's our purpose. And so does it really matter if you don't like that person or if they just rubbed you wrong or if, you know, they just, maybe your personality just conflicts or maybe you just kind of had a disagreement? Ask yourself, does that really matter? In the grand scheme of lost souls and prodigals that we're praying to return, does that really matter? Let's read John chapter 15. Verse 17, also in red, this is Jesus speaking to us. These things I command you, that you love one another. Many people think that loving one another is a choice we get to make, but it's not even a choice for us. It is a command. It is not an option. It is not a, well, if you feel like it. Or if they're nice to you, then you love them. No, it's a command. This is your scripture for those people in your life who are difficult to love. For those people on your list tonight. For those people that are in your mind right now because you weren't being truthful with yourself to write them out on your list. For those people, this is your scripture. For those difficult ones to love. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Just remember that Jesus commands you to love them. It is not optional. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 2, 4 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses four through eight, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Let me just make sure I'm not going ahead. Verse eight, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. This is a scripture about somebody who has been offended, who has been done wrong, and maybe justly so. They might have a reason to truly feel offense, but it's telling us we ought to forgive them. We ought to be a comfort unto them. It's taking it a step further. Don't just forgive them, but be a comfort to them, right? Confirm your love toward them. So let's turn over to Galatians chapter five, verses 13 and 14 for brethren. Ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So many people will use the liberty we feel in the spirit to carry offense, 
to justify our offense and to abuse one another or mistreat one another. I have been to churches where on the surface they appear to be holy by the way that everyone looks and appears, but there was an undertow of envy and jealousy and bitterness, people talking against one another, biting at each other with their words. Sometimes we don't even do it behind their back. Sometimes it's just a nasty, snappy word that we say to somebody. Paul said, if we allow these things to continue in the church, eventually everyone will be consumed, consumed with sorrow. That's not what we want the church of the living God to become. Not a sorrowful place, but we must guard our church, especially our new converts, so that they can enter a place of love and not destruction. We want this to be a place of love where people can come and find God, find hope, find salvation, find freedom. We want this to be a place of love, not a place where they come to get destroyed. So love is the answer. Let's turn to Ephesians again, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Love will produce unity. Love is the answer. We have to keep that unity of the Spirit. How? With lowliness and meekness. That sounds like fruit of the Spirit again. Long-suffering, forbearing one another. With what? In love. Love is at the center of it all. We must love. So, love produces unity. When everyone knows that they are loved... They are more inclined to come together and to work for the kingdom. And that's what we want. Remember that purpose we were talking about? We have a purpose. The church has a purpose. There are souls. That is our purpose. Remember? Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Watch for Jesus. That's our church mission statement. Summed up in those words. And so when people feel loved, they're more inclined to come together and to work for the kingdom. We're all on the same team. We're not at war with one another. We're all trying to love God. We're all trying to love people. We're all trying to make disciples. That's our purpose. We're all trying to get to heaven. We're watching for Jesus to come any day now. And so love is the answer. We have to be sure that we are loving one another. Let's turn to Colossians 2 and 2. Colossians 2 and 2 says this, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So this is talking about being knitted together in love. When you look at a knitted fabric, there are some of you in this room that like to knit. When you look at knitted fabric, you can see that it would be very difficult to just tear it apart. You can't. To destroy a knitted garment, you either have to unravel it 
from the beginning or you would have to cut it. It would be very, very difficult to rip a knitted garment. So if we knit ourselves together with love, I love that analogy in this scripture. It would be very hard to tear us apart. The beauty of a knitted garment is that the more that you knit, the stronger that garment grows. The more that you're knitting, the stronger the bond gets. So the more that we love and the more people we include and we add into the kingdom, the more people we add into the church body, the harder it is to break our unity if we're knitting it together in love. What a beautiful analogy. So after we achieve the right attitude and understand the underlying principles of holiness, we are then able to go to the next step. And for the last several weeks, we have been talking about the inner parts. We've been talking about that inward holiness, and I've spent much, much time addressing it. Before we ever talk about outward demonstrations of holiness, we have to get the right attitude, and we have to get it right inside. Jesus clearly told the Pharisees that they needed to clean up their inward parts or anything that they did on the outside was in vain. It didn't matter. So I must strive every day of my life to keep a right spirit, to renew my mind from carnal thinking to spiritual thinking, to produce the fruit of the spirit. It's not enough to just shun the works of the flesh, but I need to continue and produce fruit. I need to guard my tongue, and I need to protect my witness to the world, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's in my community, whether it's in my home with my family, I need to protect my witness. And so all of that has to start on the inside. It's open heart surgery. It's working down in here real deep and letting the Lord do the work. God desires truth in our inward parts, as the psalmist wrote. So it is our responsibility not only to maintain our outward man, but our inner parts as well. We could talk about the outward stuff all day long, and I could give you a list of 172 rules to follow, and you could follow every one of those right down to the crossing of the T and the dotting of the I. And you can try your best to maintain all of that. But God desires it to be not just on the surface. He wants it deep within us, in our hearts, in our inner man. We have to start there. And that is why we have spent weeks of study talking about what's inside, the heart, matters that God can deal with. I can't deal with it for you. You have to determine in your heart to allow the Lord to do that work within you. All right, Hebrews 12 and 14, as we're getting ready to close tonight. Hebrews 12 and verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Following peace with others is the first thing mentioned in this scripture. And it doesn't say with some men or likable people. It says everybody. Follow peace with everybody as best as you can. And then it follows up that line with talking about holiness. Again, 
Peace and love and getting along and unity is paired with the topic of holiness. Finally, Paul stresses the importance of holiness because he says without it, we won't even see the Lord. It's important. So in the process of sanctification, our reward at the end of this life is to see the Lord and be in his presence for all of eternity. We have to remember that we're not living for this present world. We're not living for this moment. We're not living for even tomorrow. We are living for the world to come. We have purpose. We have eternity in front of us. And I want to take everybody that I can with me. So holiness and sanctification is not too much to ask. It is really quite simple if we will just take it one day at a time. Because each day brings us a little bit closer to that reward. A little bit more like him. Amen. In our coming lessons, we are going to begin dealing with outward holiness. And we've spent a great deal of time talking about the inner parts. You will only be ready for this discussion that is ahead if you apply what we have learned so far. If you will do the work and you will truly ask the Lord to help you self-assess, look at what's inside, then you'll be ready. So your homework, since we don't meet next week, your homework is to go back and review your notes. If you've taken notes over the last seven weeks, go back and review them. Your homework is to reread any of the scriptures that we've read, read them, get them in your spirit, memorize them if you can, pick some of your favorites, the, the ones that speak to you the most and memorize them. Listen to the podcast. If you missed any of the weeks, you got to go listen to the podcast. I know that last week's they're working on getting it up. Um, so that will be up soon. Pray and ask God to prepare your heart and make you ready for the next steps of holiness. Because we do not want to get this backwards. We don't want to be as the Pharisees and clean up everything on the outside and think we have everybody fooled, but have evil inner parts. Right? We got to get it in the right order. And I want to say to you, you may have followed outward holiness all of your life. You may know all the ins and outs. You may know all the teachings. You may know everything that you should be doing and all the demonstrations of holiness. But you too, my dear, are still not ready for this teaching that is coming unless you've prepared your inner parts. We all have to prepare it inside. For many of us, the things that I'm going to be teaching in the coming weeks, you may have never heard it taught the way that I'm going to be teaching it to you. You may have heard it come at you like a nightstick from a police officer beating you with it. It's not going to be so. Okay? Our first lesson, we're going to talk about the different ways that we approach teaching holiness. There's three ways. The first is a nightstick. And so it's going to be different. But I'm telling you, whether you think you're ready or not, you're not ready unless you prepare inside first. So do the work, do the homework, all right? Get it inside. Okay, as we're closing in prayer, I want you to get out that piece of paper that you started with tonight. We've talked about offense. We've talked about loving others. 
If you didn't write a name on there, then you're not being truthful with yourself. Maybe you can do it at home if you can't do it here tonight, but get out that piece of paper. And some of us have one name. Some of us <clears throat> were writing a novel. <laughs> and that's okay. It feels good to get it out on paper and get it off of our chest, get it out of our hearts. We're being honest. I love it. We're being honest with ourselves and we're saying, ugh, this stuff is in here and I need to get it out, right? All right, so now I want you to do this. I want everybody to stand with me. And you're going to take that piece of paper, take it out of your notebook. And now I want you to rip it up into as many pieces as you can. Figure out a way. <laughs> rip it up. Okay, now you're going to just hold those pieces in your hand. Just hold them there in your hand, all those pieces. Whatever it takes to be free of offense. I'm going to be real with you. I have come over here when no one is here, and I have laid my face right here in the floor for hours because I was hurt and offended. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. We have purpose. We have a work to do. And part of holiness is loving and not being offended with anybody, following peace with all men. That's part of it. And so whatever you have to do, I know this is just a little demonstration but whatever you have to do, we're going to pray right now that these pieces in your hand, that I'm making a decision to refuse to be offended or angry or hurt anymore. Let's pray. God, we want to come before you in holiness and righteousness. We want our inner parts to be right before you, God. If there be anybody, God, that we have ought against, if there be anybody, Lord, that we've mistreated or been unkind to, if there be anybody, Lord, that we have been offended by or that I have offended, God, I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you would help us with this, Jesus. I pray that you would work within our hearts, Lord, and cleanse us and make us right before you. God, we decide tonight that we refuse to be offended anymore, that we refuse to be angry, that we refuse to allow the hurt that we feel, God, to make us mistreat people, to make us unkind, to make us not loving, God. Remind us, Lord, of the command that you've given us to love everyone, God, to love our brothers, to love our sisters. Remind us, God, of the lost that are watching us, God, of the prodigals that want to come home, God, but they're scared. They're scared of what they'll come home to, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be a loving church, a place where people can come to and find hope and find freedom, Jesus. Lord, maybe I need to do tonight as your scripture teaches us in Matthew 18. Maybe I need to go to somebody God, speak to our hearts, Lord. Maybe tonight I just need to let it go.
And maybe I just need to toss these names out of the playground of my mind. I just need to surrender it to you, God. Lord, help us, Jesus. Help us, God. Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart, oh God. Hallelujah. Make us ready, Lord, for where you're taking us as a church. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Feel the presence of God. I'm thankful for that. Um, I do want to say one thing, and this should not be on the podcast. Um, so I'm going to turn off the microphone. I felt led to say this earlier, but I didn't want this on the podcast. 